0: Welcome everybody. We are glad that you're able to be with us today to worship. Welcome everybody who's online with us. We're glad you're here too and able to, to join us. Uh, and uh, we do have visitors that uh, Bill has already acknowledged and we're grateful that you came our way. Hope you'll stay after this worship service. Spend a little time with us, coffee and carbohydrates in the fellowship hall. Uh, we're nice people. Trust us. We are really nice people. Spend a little time. You'll find out. And uh, we have Bible class after this, so uh, spend time with us there too. When was the last time you had to ask somebody for a favor? When was the last time you were just, you had no choice, you didn't have any power uh, to make anybody do something, you just had to ask them for a favor? I do that all the time. I have very little power at the place, the other place where I work, Oklahoma Christian. Uh, and so I'm asking for favors all the time. other faculty member administrators, can I get a favor from you? I need, and I just have to just 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 ask, you know, because that's all you can do. i don't have I don't have the power to compel. I'm just asking for a favor. That word favor is the way that the NIV translators uh dealt with this passage 1 Peter chapter 5 verse uh verse 5 when they translated uh this uh this quote really from Proverbs God opposes the proud he gives he shows favor to the humble God shows favor to the humble uh Ike read to us from the English Standard, which translates, and this is actually a more common way, I think, to translate. It gives grace to, same word, favor and grace. When, when, when you pray to God and you say to God, please forgive my sins, you're asking God for a favor. When you say to God, please help so and so get better, you're asking God for a favor. It's the same, same usage. You say, please protect Nate and Lynn on their trip and help them be a, to be a blessing to those missionaries and workers in Togo and those people that they're interacting with. You're asking God for a favor. You say, if you're a student, please, please, please help me with my grades. You're asking God for a favor. A lot of those prayers are fervently going up at my school right now. You're asking God for a favor. And Peter says God has a preference for who he gives favors to. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Now, at this stage in the letter, he's talked about the fact that I know that you're and talking to these Christians. They're kind of hugging the southern coast of the Black Sea. That's the main target for his letter. And, and he says, you guys are going through persecution. I get it. There's persecution that's broken out there. And and it's it's a fiery ordeal. He's, he describes it as in a little bit. It's rough. He says, You've got to be patient and, and don't, do, don't do things that are criminal. Uh, if you get punished for that, uh, you have that coming. But, but if you're punished just because you're a Christian, be proud. Be proud. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus was punished because of how good he was. And you be proud that enough of Jesus shines through you that people take offense of how good you are. You'd be proud of that. But at this stand, that's been his main message in this book that we've been studying, but if you've got your Bibles, turn over there to chapter 5, because here he says, here's how I want your churches to operate. And he has lots to say, I'm sure, about this, but he really just focuses on one relationship, the leaders of the church and the followers in the church, and just that, that dyad. Leaders, followers. And, you know, these are, these are small little house churches we imagine, scattered across these little towns and cities. And so it's elders and followers of the elders. And he says, here's how the elders need to operate, and here's how the followers of the elders need to operate, and this is the way you need to behave. So he says, starting in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, he says, I'm an elder, and I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. So to the elders among you, as a fellow elder, a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, here's what I say to the elders. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So that when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading glory of God. That's a great, great passage summarizing kind of the ideal of being a leader in the church. These little churches had elders who exercised oversight, who did the pastoring job. All three concepts are right here in this passage, by the way. Sometimes we call our elders bishops, or uh, in, to use the Greek form of bishop, episkopos. Uh, sometimes we call our elders overseers. Uh, which is just the English word for episkopos uh, or bishop. Sometimes we call our elders pastors, which is just another word for shepherds. It's just talking about tiny little churches that have some group of people who are in the leadership, group of older men who are in the leadership to help the churches run well. And Peter says, look, Be humble in your leadership role. Don't be in there just because you're getting paid to do it. Now, the early church would pay their elders sometimes. We rarely do that, but the early church would do that, especially the ones that were full-time elders or pastors. Uh, But he says, don't make that the reason you're an elder. You're going to be a terrible elder. And don't domineer. Over the people that are in your charge. Be a true pastor. Be a true shepherd. Someone who cares about the people that God has given into your care. Be humble in your role as a leader. Well, these churches were pretty small. They were pretty simple. They didn't have probably big, you know, Uh, They didn't have ministers separate from the elders. The elders kind of were the ministers, uh, the preachers and all that stuff. They didn't probably have deacons much. They were small, these little bitty churches. But the principles that uh, Peter lays down, they would apply to all the ranks of leadership you might have. This would apply to everybody in this church who who teaches a Bible class, anybody who does children's ministry, anybody who who does any kind of leadership role in this church, probably needs to listen to what Peter has to say about how you exercise the leadership that God has given you. Be humble. Don't be domineering. Don't get caught up in what you're doing to the extent that you start damaging the people that you have some level of authority under you. And don't do it out of compulsion. Do it eagerly. And with willingness. And if you do that, there's coming a day when the big pastor is coming. The big shepherd is coming. The great shepherd. The good shepherd. And when he comes back, he'll be wearing many crowns. And one of those crowns, you get to wear too. (laughs) That's what he says. That's what Peter says. You get a crown when that day happens. And it's an unfading crown. Crown that can't be taken away from you. I've been around churches a long time, my whole adult life, and really before I was a full adult, uh, I've, I've been helping in various ways, I've been watching how churches operate. I'm going to tell you something. It is hard to be a leader. It is hard to be an elder, it's hard to be a minister, it's hard to be a deacon, it's hard to be a Bible class teacher, any level of leadership in the church, it's hard. And there's some reasons why it's hard. One reason it's difficult is that leaders are called to take care of people where they are right at the rock face of the struggle with Satan. All of us should help those that are closest to us when they are struggling with Satan. But if you don't deal with your friend or your family member uh, that is struggling with Satan, eventually the leaders have to get involved. And they have to go talk and they have to deal with that. And 90% of the leadership in any well-functioning congregation, and Wilshire functions very well, by the way, 90% of the leadership in a well-functioning congregation happens in absolute privacy. That's what it should do. Where some of the leaders go and deal privately with struggles people are having spiritually, struggles people are having emotionally. Struggles people are having with sin and difficulty in their life, right? That's what you want to have happen. But unfortunately, a byproduct of that, and if things are resolved well, if it goes just the way it should go and the way God wants it to go, how much are you going to know about that? I take your deafening silence as the correct answer. Because that's right. You're going to know nothing. When the elders do their job, and the leaders do their job, and the deacons do their job sometimes, you're going to know zero about the ministry. And here's the trouble. Sometimes, the fact that we don't know what the leaders are doing may make us fearful that the leaders are doing nothing. And to quote Yoda, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Um, that does happen. I've exercised a little bit of leadership. I don't have much leadership at Wilshire because I'm so part-time. I'm out of almost every loop. You can ask Jeremy. He will tell you. Uh, He's now more part-time than I am on paper, but he's still more in the loop than I am. Our leaders do really good work. I don't exercise a lot of leadership here. Uh, I'm out of the loop a lot, but... But I will tell you that our leaders deal with lots and lots and lots of things that you and I never hear about. Lots and lots and lots of things. I have been in more leadership capacity in other congregations at other times. And I know what it's like to have people really misunderstand what I've done, really question my motives, and and come up with wild theories as to what I was up to and ascribe to me true evil intent in a few cases. Not very often. I've been pretty blessed. And so I know what that's like. And that's just, that's almost cooked into the leader follower relationship because the followers usually don't know everything that's going on. And so it can lead to a real difficult dynamic. If you're a leader, It, in that moment, it becomes very tempting to get angry back and to get hateful back and to get defensive back. Now again, here at Wilshire, we've been very, very blessed. And most of the churches that I've worked with have been very blessed, but that can be a negative dynamic. Peter says, don't let that creep in if you're a leader. Sometimes the people that are following you may criticize because they don't know what's going on. Don't get domineering just because that starts to happen. Don't get, don't lose your humility just because that starts to happen. If you're a leader, you continue to be humble. You know, when I read this, I thought about one of my very favorite passages, which if you've been here very long at Wilshire, you've heard me talk on this one many, many times. Matthew 20. Verses 25 through 28. Right after James and John get their mother to ask Jesus, "Could my boys sit on your left and your right when you come in your kingdom? Can my sons sit, sort of, be prime minister and and uh, you know secretary of state when you come in your kingdom, Jesus?" And the other disciples don't like that, and they're starting to argue and bicker with each other who should be, you know, uh, have the best seats and the best positions in the kingdom and Jesus calls them to himself and he says this you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over their subjects and those who are great love to exercise the authority yet I don't want it to be so among you whoever wants to be great among you let him be your servant whoever desires to be first among you Let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to pray for our leaders here, if you want to pray for me and Jeremy, if you want to pray for Andrew and Tony, if you want to pray for our elders, if you want to pray for our deacons, pray for this, that God will give each one of us the strength. To serve. You know, I wish we were smarter. I wish I was smarter just about every Sunday. I wish I was smarter. You know, I wish I had more talents. I wish all of us did, I suppose. There are a lot of things that I wish we had, but the thing all of us need the most is strength from God to serve. So if you want to pray for us, that's really what I want you to pray for. Pray that we will have the strength to do what this passage says, to serve with humility. Now, Peter doesn't stop there. If you've got your Bibles, look in chapter 5 again of 1 Peter. Look down there at verses 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. He shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Those of you who are really familiar with the Old Testament and the story of the uh, Exodus, Moses helping the Israelites escape from Egypt, What's the, if if I asked you, that period of the Israelite life, what's the one word that most characterizes the Israelites during that period? What word would you think of? Cheerfulness? Gratefulness? Compassion? Humility? I don't think I've hit the word yet. What word would you think of? I know what's in your mind. You know the story. Grumbling. Griping. And Peter knows that. He knows that that's just a natural dynamic. The Israelites, they were under the leadership of Moses, and almost every decision that he made, somebody was there to grouse about it. And Peter says, That's the way it's going to be in your little churches, too. So those of you who are not in the leadership roles, try to cut your leaders some slack. Be humble. I love that. I mean, that's he doesn't have specifics that he's telling them. He just says, be humble. You are younger. Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on. You know? Like your, like your shirt in the morning. Put it on. Humility. Make it an, an intention for your day. Today, I will put on that Christ-like spirit of service. I'm not promoting myself and demanding that my way or the highway. I'm, not, I'm putting on Christ-likeness and humility like clothing. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 6, Blessed are you when you're poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus says, God has a preference for those who manage to put on humility. To look at a situation and say, I don't have to get my way to be okay. In this organization, in this church, in this marriage, in this relationship, I don't have to have my way to be okay. God has a preference. He favors. He shows his favor to the humble. And he opposes the proud. God shows favor to the humble leaders in the church. God shows favor to the humble followers in the church. God is opposed to the proud. The actual Proverbs that Peter is quoting says in the translation I have, towards the scorners God is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. To the scorners he is scornful. Proud people, people who look with disdain on others, in particular, God looks with disdain upon. Them. I slice and dice the people around me, I especially slice and dice the people who are exercising authority. I chop them up with my words to the people that are around me. And then I turn to God and say, God, please forgive my sins. God, please help me get over this illness. God, please bless me in my life and the things that I need. I ask God for those favors. Proverbs says God scorns. God is opposed to those who are scornful. I get it. Being proud, being scornful, is almost always a defense mechanism. A little bit of pride makes me feel a little bit more in control. If I can point out what's wrong with the people around me, if I can diagnose precisely but I think that they're doing wrong. That makes me feel like I've got a handle on the world a little bit. And so it's a, it can be very addictive to get in that scornful, prideful mindset. But God doesn't really want you to live your life trying to be in control. <laughs> What he really wants you is to live your life dependent on his control, honestly. He he wants you to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I I need you you to give me my daily bread. I need you to forgive my sins. I, I, I need you to help me walk in the path today. Every day, he wants you to walk like a little child. To become a little child. To get out your shirt of humility. And put it on. And then when you go. And you ask God for a favor. He favors you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your many, many blessings to us. Thank you for the example of the humility of Jesus Christ. And God help us, please, to be humble in all of our relationships. When you put us in positions of leadership, help us to be humble as and give us strength to to be humble in those relationships. God, when you put us in positions of following leaders, help us to be humble in those relationships. God, in every human relationship that we experience, husbands and wives and childrens and parents and co-workers and friends, we have a call to either be humble or to let the other person have their way frequently, and God, that can be hard for us. God, give us humility. God, help us to have that servant spirit that Jesus modeled for us. Give us strength to do these things. This is what we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers or help, or if today is the day that you realize, I need to put Jesus Christ on in baptism. I believe I want to turn away from my sins because I believe. I want to confess him in front of people that he truly is Lord and Savior. And I want to have my sins washed away in the death and rebirth of baptism. If that's what you want to do today, everything's ready. You can, you can walk out of here with a brand new life. That's what baptism does for you. If you want to make that choice, we invite you to come as we stand and are in our let in song.